0: We're in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 29. Kingdom come, that will be done. Hear then the word of God. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, to Jesus, and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed, and they said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided itse- against itself is going to stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, is he divided against himself? How then can his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I am casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come. It has come upon you. Or can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he can do what I'm doing, which is he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The word of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you as we gather this morning for your great love for us. We thank you that you have begun a good work in us, and you are carrying it on to completion to the day of Christ. Father, may this morning be part of that process as we have gathered into your presence and sung your praises and and reached out and called out to you. And as we come now and sit under your word, will you work? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and capture our hearts and capture our minds for yourself and for your kingdom. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Often people don't know what to do with Jesus. Jesus is one of these guys that he is hard to get into a box. He is hard to tame. He's hard to, you know, kind of get figured out and, and, and get him where you want him to be. See, and the temptation for a lot of us, as it was for, for, for these guys, is to try to tame Jesus. We prefer Jesus that we can neatly put into a box and we know what he thinks and he's going to do. We know that he will affirm, basically, the way I think. And the way I live, he'll affirm my views and my preferences. And I want a Jesus who's not going to meddle, who's not going to mess with things. But Jesus is hard to do that with. He's hard to get into a box. Jesus said a lot of disturbing things that that messed with people's ways of thinking, that rocked their world and, you know, came against things that they have believed and taught since they were born. And Jesus comes and says, "Wrong." the practices that they have practiced since the day they were born and the church had been doing for years. And he comes along and he says, wrong. Jesus comes along and he says things about who he is and and, and the things that he says and the things that he does, he is just meddling, criticizing, disturbing the church. See, the Jewish leadership, as Jesus comes into this whole context here, the Jewish leadership hates Jesus. They hate him. Why did they hate him? What did he do? He challenged their way of thinking. He had the gall to tell them they were wrong about certain things. The way you worship, the way you think about these things, the way that it has always been done, he says, are wrong. See, the last two stories as we come to this passage, you get two or three stories that go beforehand. Two of them are about the Sabbath. You know, in the first one, he's picking in the grain fields and, you know, he's doing something that they don't think he should be doing on the day of worship. You know, it's something you shouldn't do in worship. It's something that you shouldn't do. And then in the next passage, it comes along and he he heals a man who his hand has been withered. And he heals him. And they say, are you supposed to be doing that on, on worship day? Are you supposed to be doing that on Sunday? That's not the way we've done things. That's not the way we have said things should be done. He says things like, well, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And so the things he's saying about himself, he's challenging their thinking, and this is just a small snippet of the confrontations that Jesus has as he bumps into the church of the day and the way they're thinking and the way they're worshiping and the way they're doing religion, and Jesus conflicts with their idea of proper religion. He said things, he did things what is lawful on the sabbath what should you should what should you and should you not do on the sabbath on the worship day on sunday in church see jesus literally made a career he Literally, if you read the Gospels from the time he shows up on the stage until the time he's overturning tables and and saying things at the end, Jesus literally made a career out of criticizing other people's ideas about proper religion. The church in Jesus' day had been around for about 2,000 years. And as Jesus confronts the leadership and the way they do things, and the way they've been doing things, the way they believe about things. It's been thousands of years and Jesus shows up and says, you know what, your religion is encrusted with all kinds of human traditions. Your religion is encrusted with stuff that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The things you are so worried about, the things that you are fighting about, the things you are so mad about, you know what, they have nothing to do with godliness. And Jesus challenged them on so much. This is not true religion. This is not what it's all about. The New Testament church has been around for about 2,000 years. Let me ask you, do you think we have escaped the pitfall of becoming encrusted with human tradition? Becoming encrusted with the way things that we've always done them? You know, I wonder if Jesus became the pastor of many of our churches. You know, he came through the candidating process. You didn't know who he was. Okay, let's go there. You don't know who he is. But he goes through the candidating process, and he knows his Bible like nobody's business, right? And he, and he is a godly man, and you're impressed with this guy. And so you hire him, and you put him in charge of the church. I would say in the majority of Christian churches today, within six months, they would drive him out. Because he would, he would say things like he's always been saying. What does this have to do with godliness? What does this have to do with the kingdom of God? What does this have to do with with our mission? And what does it have to do with me? Often we have in mind the things of man and not the things of God. And Jesus will challenge these things because they often have nothing to do with true religion or godliness. But we like them and we prefer them. And it's the way we do them. And Jesus would mess with it. They hated him. They hated him. Not because he wasn't godly. Not because he didn't know his Bible. But because his interpretation of, and his understanding of what God was doing and how he was doing it and the way the church should be and what the church should be believing and doing conflicted with theirs. And they crucified him for it. They hated him and they wanted to kill him because they couldn't get him to approve their ideas of proper religion. In verse 22, Jesus comes, and he, demon-possessed man, who's blind, and he's mute, is brought to him, and Jesus, and it just says it in like three words, healed him. And he healed him, four words. So that the man spoke, and the man saw, a a man oppressed by the devil in such a way that he is blind and deaf and there's nothing that can be done for him. And Jesus, in a word, delivers him. Be free, see, hear. It doesn't, no wonder that it says that the crowd was amazed. (laughs) Like, that's an understatement, isn't it? The crowd was amazed. Not the Pharisees, they weren't amazed. Right? And this is the lens in which you see it. They, they, they see this thing happen. The crowd starts wondering, can this be the Son of God? Right? That's their question. In verse 23, can this be the Son of David? That's code for Messiah. Right? It's Old Testament code for Messiah. The son of David, the Messiah king, the king who would come. God had promised that one of David's sons would would sit on his throne forever. And as the Old Testament ends and and, and as things wind down, as you finish the Old Testament, you enter those 400 years in between, all of that stuff fails. They were supposed to have a king. They were supposed to have a land. They were supposed to have a temple. They were supposed to have, and a lot of that stuff had fallen apart. And so they're waiting. And they say, one of David's son is supposed to sit on the throne? And that's not the case. And so they're waiting. They're waiting for Messiah king the Messiah they're waiting for is a son of David who will resume the throne and rule in Israel they expected him to be a warrior king because that's the only way this is going to go down right you've had to deal with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and then finally the Greeks and the Romans and these powerful empires and Rome is probably the greatest of the lot and if they're going to be delivered out of this we need a warrior king for sure One who would come in the power of God and restore the old order of things. Restore things back to the way that they were back in the golden days of David in the temple. But The problem is that the kingdom of God in the Old Testament was a shadow of a greater kingdom that was coming. It's not the kingdom. It was a type, it was a picture, it was a placeholder of a greater reality that was, that was coming. Jesus did not come to endorse their tradition-encrusted religion, and he did not come to restore an Old Testament kingdom. Jesus was the Messiah King. And he came to do something entirely different. See, the religion of Israel, even in its purest form, was only a type and a shadow. The whole sacrificial system to what Jesus was going to come and do. It was all a picture, it was all a shadow of when Messiah King came, this is what he would do for us. And The kingdom of Israel was a shadow and a type of a greater global and eternal kingdom that would come and encompass the whole world and encompass the Gentiles. And so Jesus comes to accomplish this greater salvation as a greater Savior, and he comes to accomplish a greater kingdom and to usher it into existence. There in your bulletin under the second point you see, Luke chapter 16 verse 16 it says the law and the prophets were until John that was their purview since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached right the old covenant comes to an end until John John is the last old testament prophet the law and the prophets were until John because John was the precursor of who said who was coming he was the last prophet till Jesus comes. So the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, was until John. Now, he says, that has changed. Now, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. That's our message. What is the good news? The good news, as we understand the gospel and what Jesus did and who he is, is not just the work on the cross, but that work of the cross is, is part of a larger picture, part of a larger message, which is the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus showed up saying. That's how he interpreted, understood, and tried to communicate to the people what was going on. When demons are cast out and blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk, what is going on? Well, until John... Prophets and law, but ever since then, since the coming of Christ, good news of the kingdom of God is preached. It's no longer a matter of prophecy. The kingdom is now the subject of preaching. It's no longer future. The kingdom of God is present. It's arrived in the person of the king, King Jesus. And so the answer to the question, can this be the son of David? Jesus answers when he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, right? Repent and believe that the gospel has, that the kingdom has come. And so the answer to the question, can this be the son of David is yes, yes. And again, yes, it can be. In fact, it is. The kingdom of God is appearing. But once again, Jesus' idea of the kingdom, of the Messiah King, doesn't gel with the Pharisees' idea of what Jesus ought to be, the Messiah King, ought to be doing. He should be be affirming their encrusted religion and and advancing the political, socio-political kingdom of Israel. And he's not doing it. It doesn't fit into their thinking and their traditions and in their hatred and in their prejudice. The Pharisees float an alternate interpretation of what's going on. Can you imagine? Jesus casts out a demon and heals a man who is deaf and and mute. And their interpretation is, like, how hard does your heart have to be? How far away from the kingdom of God do you have to be? How far from God's intention and, and and the fullness of his spirit do you have to be that when Jesus Christ stands in your presence and in the power of God and the coming of his kingdom heals and delivers people, you say, Satan. There is a hatred that runs deep here in the leadership that is hard to fathom. They float, this, they float this theory, right? He says, but when the Pharisees heard about it, they say in verse 24, it, is, it must be that the, uh, he's the prince of demons and that's how he casts out demons. He must be their boss, right? To have power over demons like that, he must be their boss. He must be the devil himself, the blasphemy hard for me to say it out loud. The blasphemy that comes from these man's lips because they hate him so much. And with what cause? Why do they hate him? They have in mind the things of man and not the things of God. And in their blind hatred, they make this utterly ridiculous accusation that Jesus just dismisses with a quick piece of logic. Doesn't he? And that's what you get in the following verses, hearing what they say. Verses twenty-five, six, and seven. He just gives you a little piece of logic. Kingdoms divided against themselves won't stand. You know, if Satan is going around casting out Satan, you know, if he's going around casting out his demons, the house is divided. If he's if he's at war with himself, his house will fall. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, guys. When your children cast out demons, when the children of Israel have confronted such things, you never said Satan before. You know, what's this logic that all of a sudden? It's silly. It's prejudicial. It's illogical. But then Jesus corrects them, and he says, well, let me just give you an idea. There's a, you know, he's going to interpret his own work. He's going to tell them what's going on. And so he asks them. Well, he doesn't ask them. He tells them the source of his power. But he tells them what is going on in verse 28. If it is by the Spirit of God, not the demons, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come. Now there's a statement, again, that should rock the Pharisees back on their heels. The kingdom of God has shown up in our midst, he says, among you or uh, upon you, or it's in your midst, it's it's here in your presence, is what he says. That's one of those things, Jesus just says crazy things. right? And, And the literal thing there is, if by the finger of God, Right? If by the Spirit of God these things are happening, then the kingdom of God is, is come. Something is, is going on. The kingdom has come in the person of the king. In other words, the reign of God, the kingdom of God is exhibited wherever the king exerts his power. And that's where he reigns and rules and limits the power of others. Right? There, Voss, in your bulletin under the second point, Gerhardus Voss writes and he says, where the kingdom of Satan is destroyed... There, of necessity, the kingdom of God begins. And that's what's going on in this passage, where the kingdom of Satan is destroyed, his presence is cast out, people are set free, where, his pre- where the devil's power reigned in blindness and muteness and uh, oppression over somebody's life, where he is cast out, his power is curtailed, his power is pushed back, his power is bound. Men are set free. And they live and they see and they hear, not only physically but spiritually. And that's what Jesus does. He explains verse 28 with verse 29 when he's telling you that, I'm telling you the kingdom of God has come. It is by the finger of God and the power of God. I'm doing this. The kingdom of God has, in fact, come. How else would somebody enter into a strong man's house? And he's saying the world, and the Bible says that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, under his dominion. That's what the New Testament teaches us. And he says, how can I enter the strong man's house that is under the power of the evil one and begin to plunder it, to set men free and pull them out of it and to free them from the oppression and the dominion and the power of the enemy if I don't in some fact first bind him. And so he says, with the advancement of the kingdom of God, with, with Christ himself the king, the reign of God exists where that king exerts his power and plunders the enemy's kingdom. That's what Jesus says, at least as far as I understand and read what he is saying. McLaren there in your bulletin under number 2 again says, The Lord by His incarnation, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to the right hand of God, His government, His ruling from there at the right hand of God has broken the powers of evil in their central hold, which is the human heart, and so are institutions. And He has crushed the serpent's head. Kingdom has come. In its initial stages, it is breaking into the presence and Christ in His first coming as His Spirit is poured out, that Spirit by which He sets men free, that Spirit by which He heals, that Spirit has been poured out on all flesh in His church. Do you not know, people of God, that you are the temple of God in whom His Spirit dwells and the kingdom has come? His presence is among His people and where He exerts His power the kingdom reigns. Fear and guilt and shame are washed away. The joy of salvation is ushered in. and Peace and hope, grace, life. And Jesus explains to the Pharisees that when people are delivered from disease and oppression and, and the power of the devil, then the, this is an expression of the coming of God's kingdom and the reign of God's king and the plundering of his enemies. Let me name two, two ways real quick how it is. It got, did Jesus and the reign of God in Christ, in his gospel, plunder Satan's kingdom. Where his reign and authority pushes back darkness. Do we not see that as the work of the church? That we stand as a light, as a city on a hill and a light that should not be hidden. Pushing back the darkness. That people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. That the church, he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The gates of hell, the authority and reign in the place of Satan's power, he says, will be pushed open and pushed back. Satan is bound in the sense that his power is limited. His gates have been broken and he's plundering his kingdom. He's doing it in every conversion, isn't he? Every conversion to Christ is a plundering of Satan's kingdom. Every time somebody believes in evangelism and in missions and all that we do, that we see people come to Christ, Satan's kingdom is pushed back. His authority is bound, broken, and pushed out. And somebody is set free into a different reign, into a different kingdom. Colossians 1.3, it's here in your bulletin under the third point, the king reigning and plundering. Colossians 1.3 says this, that God has delivered us, you and me, from the dominion the reign, the authority, the power of darkness. And a transference has taken place. You've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son, the Son of God, who is the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Messiah King who was coming. This is salvation. Every time somebody is saved, there is a transference. They go from the kingdom of darkness, under the oppression of the enemy, believing lies without light and without hope and without God in the world, and they are transferred into the kingdom of His dear Son, the kingdom of Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning over His people, His church, as He expands His kingdom against the gates of hell itself. It's not just conversion, but there's a breaking in of the fullness of His kingdom, Justice and righteousness and peace, shalom, as we plunder his kingdom. You know, there's that story, it's there in your bulletin under the third point. When John is in prison and Jesus is, is ministering and accomplishing things, and John writes, he says, when John heard about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? That's the same question that the crowds are asking when Jesus healed this guy. Can this be the son of David? It's the same question John is asking. Are you the one who was to come? Are you the Messiah King, the son of David? Or should we expect another? Is it fulfilled or is it not? Are you him or are you not? And what's Jesus' answer? Go and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, do you not see the signs of the kingdom of the reign of God? This is the reign of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like when justice and freedom and peace and health and life begin to, to enter in. It's the breaking in of God's kingdom. So this is what God is doing. He's doing it still. Jesus, though he has ascended to the right hand, he said, when I go, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you and I'm going to constitute you. And he says, just as I was sent into the world, so send I you into the world that this thing that I have started breaking in as your king and, and expanding my kingdom and advancing and building my church, he says, when I go, I will pour out my spirit. And this work will press on. And it's what he is doing as we think about ourselves as a church. Let me just give you some things to think about. This idea that we are living in the kingdom, that Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father as the Messiah King, the Son of David, who has ascended to his throne, who is plundering the enemy, who is saving people like us and transferring us into a new kingdom. Number one, enter into it. Right? If you have not entered into this kingdom, if you have not Put your faith in Christ. If you have not bowed your knee to Messiah King, to Jesus, then the call comes to you first to put your faith in Christ, that he is who he said he is, that the answer to that question, could this be the son of David, the Messiah King, is yes. Would you put your trust in God's King as your Lord, as your King, as your Savior, and be transferred out of darkness and into his kingdom, to believe that what he did, he did for you. And he will deliver you from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. Put your faith in Christ. So in living in this kingdom, first of all, if you're not living in this kingdom is to enter in, bow the knee to King Jesus. The second is to live under his lordship, to live under the lordship of this king, that we have bowed the knee. If we have bowed the knee, then we need to bow the knee to serve King Jesus. Jesus, to abide in Christ through word and prayer. And as we abide in Christ, who is the Messiah King, who reigns in power and glory, He's able to do more than we could ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within His church. He will work. He will work in us to change us and to make us like Christ, but He will also use us in more ways than we can count. He has poured out His presence and His power in the person of the Holy Spirit, And he's given us a foretaste of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness. And we have a foretaste of that kingdom life that is true life. And salvation then is not just getting into heaven when you die. It's living in the kingdom now as children of light. That we as children of light have been transferred into the kingdom of the Son now. Paul says in Romans 14, is there in your bulletin under the last point, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of externals, it's not a matter of rules, don't do this, don't drink that, don't do that. It don't, it's not a matter of these things. He says it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the individual life changing who we are and our experience of all things. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day that the king comes back. The salvation that we enter into is a salvation that doesn't just deliver a disciple, but delivers the whole person into the full life of the kingdom of God. So we live under his lordship and we pray for its coming, but also say we're told to seek it first, aren't we? We're told to enter it, to live under his lordship, to bow the knee, every tongue confess and every knee bow that Jesus Christ is kurios, he is lord, he is king. And then it says we are to seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And I would say his kingdom and his righteousness are not two separate things in a sense. That where his righteousness comes, the kingdom comes. Right? And where his kingdom comes, his righteousness reigns. Righteousness, it is, has to do with the quality of our lives as we live under his lordship. But it's a life that is pursuing justice. All those things that, that he tells John are breaking in. You know, for healing and deliverance. And the poor, it's good news so that we're, we're feeding the poor and helping our community and reaching out where justice and righteousness begins to be, to shine out, to reach out from our church into the community. Investing our resources, giving our money, our time, and our talents is to seek first His kingdom. And we should seek it, but we shouldn't just seek it in our own power. We should pray for it. When, we, when Jesus was asked, how should we pray? as your disciples, as those delivered into your kingdom who have bowed their knee to you, how should we pray? What should be the things we pray for? What should be the first things on our tongue when we pray? Jesus said, first address God and worship him, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done. And where the will is done, the kingdom is come. And where the kingdom comes, his will reigns. Where the power of the king is exerted, the kingdom is present in the person and power of the king. And we pray for that kingdom. We pray for it to come in our own lives. I don't know, it's one of those prayers somebody taught me a long time ago. When you pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. We say, first and foremost, in my life. In other words, be on the throne of my heart. Be set apart in my heart and mind as Lord and King, so that when I live my life, that your kingdom would come in the sphere of my influence. And the way I use my money and the way I use my time and the way I live my life and the choices that I make in every sphere is done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done first with me. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. That's the kingdom of God. And so we pray for that kingdom to come. And, may, and though we pray perhaps that it starts with us, we also pray. My thought is as a church, as God fills this place and we do ministry, we don't want to just do ministry in a sense for ourselves. We want the kingdom of God. We want to push back the gates of hell and plunder the enemy's kingdom. And so we pray that God would use us. And so we the last thing is that we are ambassadors for Christ king. We not only come in and, ex, and, and, and enter the kingdom and live under his lordship and seek first his kingdom and pray for his kingdom to come, we are ambassadors. And that's who you and I are. Scripture is so clear about this, isn't it? We are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors is a political idea. Ambassadors represent kingdoms. At least in those days, they didn't have... United States kind of, they had kingdoms. And ambassadors represented kingdoms and kings. And he says, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. The kingdom has come in us, and we are those who speak for it. And we speak for the gospel of the kingdom in the name of Christ. Luke 8.1, there in your bulletin on the last point, went through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Acts 8.12, in the book of Acts, it says, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news. This is in the middle of the book of Acts. You know, when the gospel of Jesus is going out, this is the gospel. He preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, its king. And they were baptized, men and women, people were plundered from the power of the enemy. And the kingdom was advanced and the gates of hell are broken down and their eyes This is it, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they would turn from the power of darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God, come under his lordship, under his power, so that they might receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. My friends, let us enter into this kingdom. Let us live in it and under His Lordship. Let us pray for its coming in our lives and in our church and in our community. Let us seek it first above other things, pouring our resources into the coming of this kingdom. And let us represent Jesus' kingdoms well in the words of the gospel and in deeds of mercy. That the kingdom would shine forth in power still. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning and we sit at your feet and listen to your word which is living and true. We thank you for King Jesus, who did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, who would die for our sins that we might be forgiven and set free to deliver us from the guilt and the wrath and deliver us from darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Oh, we would live in this kingdom, Father, come near and reign over us. Oh, teach our hearts and our minds to seek it first. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray for the kingdom. Teach us to represent it well, to speak the words of life and of gospel, of kingdom, and to live lives of mercy and justice and righteousness in us and in your church. To your glory and to the building of your church. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name.